We are in uh, the book of Acts. We've been going through this summer series on the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. This is week nine of our series going through the book of Acts. And I know we have some new people here, some visitors here. So if you're just joining us, you're kind of coming in near the end of the end of the movie, end of the story. We've got three weeks left um, in this series. Next Sunday, um, Christy and I will be out of town, and the Reverend, the Right Reverend Stephen Maxwell will be preaching the word for us. Yeah, woo! So that's what you have to do the whole time. When Stephen does announcements, everyone goes, woo! So you have to do that. Every time Steve says something good, instead of amen, you just say, woo! That won't be distracting at all for Steve. But we're excited to have Stephen Brook here leading our student ministries. He's going to do a great job next Sunday. Please join us for that. And then we have one final wrap-up for the book of Acts the week after that. And then on August 26th is Water Baptism Day. We're going to have an outdoor service here with a water baptism tank. Um, It's a great service here at Homestead. If you've never been water baptized and you would like to be, please talk to Christy or I, and we can get you signed up for that and get you more information on that. But if you have missed this series, give you a little bit of a recap. The book of Acts picks up after Jesus' death and resurrection. The Gospels talk about all the life and teachings of Jesus. And then at the end of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the end of all those Gospels ends with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then the book of Acts takes over from there. This is the rest of the story. This is after Jesus rose, he gave the Great Commission to his disciples. And at the time, it was a very small group of disciples, the 11 disciples that were left Um, and then a few other followers as well. He gave the Great Commission to them. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then you see a couple chapters later, the Holy Spirit comes, fills these disciples with boldness, fills them with power to go out and to spread the gospel. You see, soon after that, there's persecution that breaks out amongst the Jesus followers. The Christianity movement, the Jesus followers, they face obstacles and persecution every step of the way. But the church continues to spread. It continues to grow. And you see this through the book of Acts, these chapters in Acts. Continues to see miracles. Continue to see God pouring out his mercy and grace on people. And what you see, what a big theme in Acts is, is the outsiders that are welcome. The outsiders that are welcome. This is not just a Jewish faith thing. And a lot of the Jews who followed Jesus, they thought, well, this will just be a new thing for the Jewish people. We're God's people. No, they see that this is something that is poured out for all people. Outsiders, foreigners, the people who were pushed down and outcast before are now welcomed in by the message and the good news and the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. This is what you see throughout as the church spreads in different regions, in different nations. Then we introduced you to a character named Saul who was leading the persecution and he later became known as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, go, who would go around preaching the gospel in all these different nations. He had three different missionary journeys that he would go to different nations and preach the gospel, and we're going to talk about one of those today. But you see the church spread. You see the church continue to grow, and that's where we pick up the story here. We're in Acts chapter 17. If you want to follow along, there should be a black hardcover Bible on the end of the pew that you're sitting in. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And what's happening now is this. Paul and Silas, Silas is Paul's new companion, uh, they're traveling and they're preaching in synagogues primarily to Jewish audiences, religious audiences, Jewish people who would understand the Old Testament, understand what Paul is talking about when he refers to the Old Testament prophecies. They understand the teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. They understand the concept of a Messiah, crucified and risen. But now what Paul and Silas are doing, they travel to Thessalonica 
in the beginning of chapter 17, and their message of good news in Jesus Christ is not received well by the people in Thessalonica. They say, we are not interested, and they run these guys out of town. That's what happens in the beginning of Acts chapter 17. Well, then Paul and Silas move on to another city called Berea, where these people are a little bit open-minded. They are open to the message of the gospel. But what happens is the people in Thessalonica who are opposed to it, they hear that Paul is preaching in this new city, so they send people over to raise trouble in Berea, and Paul and Silas get run out of town again. These, the mob of persecutors is following them around. And so what happens is the believers who are there say, we gotta, we got to break this up. we got to keep you safe, Paul. So they send Paul out to the coast. They send Silas and the other followers. Uh, they left them behind there. So Paul, at, uh, halfway through chapter 17, finds himself in Athens in Greece alone. He's all alone. All his companions are gone, and he's in Athens. And Athens was not a Jewish place. Athens did not have believers, people who were familiar with the teachings of the Old Testament. Athens was the center of philosophy at the time. The great Greek philosophers, everyone debated new ideas and new ways of thinking. This was what was happening in Athens. And Paul finds himself alone in this city. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 16. It'll be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. It says this in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens waiting for the other followers to join him. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting in the Ara wait, I knew how to pronounce this, Areopagus, that's what it was. I did a Google pronunciation search, and that's what it came up with, Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians, I love this little part here, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I love that. They're just standing around talking about new ideas. This is what was happening in this Greek culture. So we're going to stop there for a second. Paul is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to this audience who is, this is new language to them. They don't understand this. Now, Paul mentions two groups of people there, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans, they were people that believed there was no God, and that everything that happened on earth, we were here by just, we were here by chance, just by luck, that we, our universe kind of came into formation, and that we are here as people. There's no gods, there's no higher power, everything is random, everything is by chance, and so therefore we should just seek happiness and pleasure. That's what they believed, the Epicureans. The other group of people that Paul talks about were the Stoics, and they believed not only in God, but gods, many gods, gods everywhere. They believed there were gods everywhere. They had different idols and shrines and statues for all the different gods. So Paul is talking to these groups of people. He's a believer in Jesus in the middle of this culture that doesn't believe at all. That either believes there's no God and we should just pursue happiness, or a group of people that believes there's different gods everywhere. And this is who Paul is talking. Paul notices, he mentions it, he notices that the city is full of idols, 
full of idols, different statues to different gods, different monuments, different shrines that people would worship. But yet this group of people is interested in what Paul has to say. So they bring Paul to their leaders and they say, your ideas are at least interesting to us. We want to hear more. So this is what Paul says when they bring him before the Areopagus. There we go. Thank you. It doesn't take me long to learn new things. Uh, Verse 22 says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, those idols, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is Paul's message to these leaders in Athens. Paul's message, to sum it up, is essentially this. People of Athens, I can tell you're spiritual. You've got gods everywhere. You are seeking something. You are seeking after a god. You even have a shrine that's set up to an unknown god. And they would have all these gods, and then they had one set up to the unknown god just in case they missed one, right? Just in case there was a god they weren't worshiping, we better have one here to cover all our bases, right? He is saying, you're seeking god, but you're looking in the wrong places, You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking to all these things, but there is one God. He is not one of many gods. He is one true God who existed before everything and who made everything. I like to imagine Paul maybe seeing one of the idol makers kind of crafting a shrine out of wood, saying, you know that God that you're making out of wood right there? Well, my God made that wood that you're using right there. Like, my God made the stuff you're using to make your gods. And Paul addresses those two main thoughts, the people who thought there's no meaning to life, just pursue happiness. He tells them, there is a God. There is a God. We're going to stand before him one day. Your life is not meaningless. There is a God who is over all things. And to the people who believed in all these other gods, he said, there is a God and it's only one. And he is above every other God. This is what Paul is saying to the Athenians, the people in Athens. Now, his message, again, as you see so often, his message gets mixed reviews. Some people say, this guy's crazy. We don't want anything to do with that. Some people say, well, I'm at least intrigued enough to hear a little bit more. And then there are those who become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We see that today. But I wanted to look at that message today in the minutes we have left. We have a few minutes left 
in our time this morning. And I wanted to look at Paul's message and apply it to our world today and see if we can apply that to our lives today. In our culture today, in 21st century America, in our culture, we have similar viewpoints, don't we? If You probably know people in our world that are like this. They probably think, there's no point to any of this. It's just random. Why don't we just pursue pleasure and happiness and that's it. That's the whole point of life. There's no higher power. There's no eternity. This is all there is. We are here by chance. And then we have other people who are seeking. They're searching. They're searching for purpose and meaning and significance in their life, but they're searching in all sorts of places. They're looking to gods in all sorts of places, something to give them some meaning to their life. We have both groups of people in our world today, and if Paul were here, he would say, people of the 21st century, I see that you're seeking I can see all your objects of worship, but let me remind you there is one God who is above all. There is one God who is above all, and we will stand before him someday. He is the one who made you. Your life matters, and everything you need is found in him, not in any of these other things that we seek after. That's what Paul would say to us today. That's why the word of God is alive today, because we can read that and we can see we have a world that is seeking in all sorts of places for meaning and purpose. And God is there, the one true God, saying, look to me for these things. That's what God is saying. This is where we find significance and meaning. This is where we find significance and meaning above any of these other objects of worship that we have, against any of these other idols that we have. So I want to talk about those idols a little bit today. And you might be thinking, idols? We don't have idols in this country. We don't have idols today. There's no shrines. There's no statues. We're not in like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego situation where we have to listen for the trumpets, and if we don't bow down to the statue, we all get thrown into the furnace. There's nothing like that going on, at least not yet. You know, we don't, we don't have anything like that going on. So you're probably wondering, what's an idol? What would an idol be? Well, an idol, if you look up a definition of an idol, an idol is a representation of God that is worshiped. Also, an idol is defined as a person or thing that is greatly admired, loved, or revered. An idol is anything that occupies a place of worship, something we place in a position of importance above God. This would be something that would be an idol. This would be something that would be a false thing of worship that we are worshiping, something that we place in a position of importance above God. And also, it's anything we look to in order to get something when we should be looking to God for that thing, right? Okay, that, you might, that might have gone over your head. It's hot, and you might have been focusing on the fan or something. But anything we look to in order to get something when we should be looking to God for that thing. If we're looking to something else for value, to feel worthy, to feel loved, to feel happy. To, if we're looking to some of those things instead of God, who is the source of all these things, those things could be false idols of worship in our life. Now, if you look through the Old Testament, maybe do we have any like Old Testament people who could name off all Ten Commandments? Anybody know all Ten Commandments? Anyone know the first of the commandments? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. So God spoke very strongly, thank you to whoever said that, is that you, Becca? Thank you. We should do a series on the Ten Commandments. Make a note, somebody. we got to do a series on the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, God spoke so strongly of this. I am the Lord your God. I am the one God. You should have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? Anyone know the second commandment? You, 
You should not make any graven images. I know these. I was just quizzing you. You're probably thinking, he's just asking the crowd because he doesn't know the answer to these questions. I don't know that I could get all ten, but I think I got most of them. Um, Commandment number two, the first one he says, don't have any other gods before me. The second commandment is, don't have any graven images. Don't create any images that you worship. Don't have any idols in your life. He spoke so strongly to his people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament about this. Don't have idols. Don't have things that you put before me in your life. Because Israel was surrounded by all these nations. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this throughout. There is a theme that goes throughout the Old Testament history. Israel as a nation is surrounded by all these other nations who are idol worshipers. They are worshiping all sorts of gods. These other nations would have a god they would worship when they wanted it to rain so their crops would grow. They would have a god, a different god they would worship when they wanted a a bountiful crop or when they wanted health in their nation or in their family. They had another god that they would worship. When they were facing an attack of the enemy, they had another god that they would worship in order to keep them safe. They had gods for all these things to keep them provided for, to keep them healthy and strong, to keep them blessed as a people, to keep them safe. All these other gods. And God said to his people, the nation of Israel, don't do that because I am all of those things for you. This is what God was saying to his people. You look to me to be provided for. I want you to look to me to be valued and feel worth. I want you to look to me when you are feeling attacked and you need protection. This is why God spoke so strongly against idolatry in the Old Testament. God is saying, I want to be the one to protect you, to guide you, to provide what you need, to bless you, to instill value and worth in you. Stop looking at all of these other things when all you need is God. And that message rings true for us today, right? Stop looking at all these other things to find these things when all you need is a relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's all you need. That's all you need to feel significance as an individual, to feel a value, to feel love. That's all you need is a relationship with your Heavenly Father. To feel like you are provided for or protected or blessed, all you need is a relationship with your Heavenly Father. This is what God teaches. This is what God was trying to instill in His people, the Israelites. And over and over and over and over again, you see idolatry creep in to the Israelite camp. They would begin to intermarry with the other nations, and the other nations' patterns of idolatry would become Israel's patterns of idolatry. And it started with little bits of compromise, which grew and grew and grew until the nation of Israel was outright idolatrous in their worship of all these other gods. So when we look at idolatry in this light, we look at what Paul was saying to the Athenians I see all these idols. I see what you're seeking after when you should be seeking after God. When we look at idolatry like that, I'm going to ask you some questions. What is it in your world that is taking that place of importance in your life when it should be God? What things are in your life that you are looking to when, you, when you're searching for something when you are, should be looking to God? What it is in your life that you look to in order to feel value or significant or to feel protected or secure or blessed when you should be looking to God? Are you searching in other places for something that only God can give you? Because we can worship the false idols all we want, and you see this throughout the Scripture, you see this throughout history. Anytime we worship something, anytime we place something at a high level of importance that is not God, we leave empty. We leave empty. There is nothing there, but God is the source of all that we need. So what is in your life 
that would be like that, that place of importance that you have put on an altar of importance that you look to when you should be looking to God. I'm not going to, in case you're worried, I'm not going to post a list of idols today. You know, there's a, growing up in the 80s, any, any Christian kids growing up in the 80s, it seemed like there was all the, people had like lists of, people would say that, that movie is becoming an idol in your life. Secular music in the 80s was if you listened to, if you had too many secular CDs, I would hear people, not that this happened to me, um, I would hear people come to me and say, I think that secular music is becoming an idol in your life. That was like the ultimate, like, trump card, poker hand winner of, if you wanted somebody to do something, you would say, well, that's clearly becoming an idol in your life. Those non-Christian friends, you're spending too much time with them. They might be becoming idols. So I'm not going to post a list of idols today if you're worried, all right? But I am going to ask a few things. I'm going to suggest a few things as we look at this because it's not about feeling condemned Christy spoke a great message a few weeks ago, a member of which she talked about, what's my list? All these new converts to Christianity were wondering, what's my list of things I got to do? We don't have that. We have grace and mercy and love in Jesus Christ. But the point of this is there are things that creep into our lives, often very subtly, that get in the way of our devotion to God, that become too important to us, that hinders our reliance and our faith in God right? So this is why I'm bringing this up. This is why Paul was mentioning this in this chapter in Acts. We look to things when we want to feel valued and loved and significant. And for many of us, we look to other people. We look to other relationships to fill that void in us. If you're a single person here, maybe you think, oh, I just keep looking for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, someone to be with so that I can feel loved and valued. Maybe you went into marriage thinking, well, now that I'm married, my spouse is going to fill me with all sorts of value and worth, and spouses, we should do that. Spouses, we should fill our spouses with value and worth. But we don't look to our spouse to fill us up with all these significant things. We look to God to help us feel valued and worth and loved. Maybe you are in a marriage and you're looking to someone other than your spouse because they make you feel valued and loved and worthy. We can't look for these things in other relationships. We look to God. Another thing, we have, this is something very prominent in our world today. We have an epidemic among young people and older people, lest us parents start getting judgy here, who are looking for significance and value through social media. They, we, I'll say we, because I spend as much time, you know, staring. I borrowed Christy's phone for this illustration. That's why there's a flowery case on it in case you... I just noticed that now. My phone is being used for something else this morning. We have a generation of people, old and young, who crave social media because it gives them a sense of value. If they can have friends, if they can see enough likes or retweets or pictures of themselves, or if they can create an online life that looks worthy, that looks significant, then they'll feel valued. There is, there's been tons of research on this. Social media produces that chemical in our brain, dopamine, that causes like the pleasure in our brain. Like when we feel valued and accepted on social media online, it causes a chemical to be released. We're like, oh, that feels good. That feels good. Maybe you have people in your home that seem to be on their phones the whole time, seem to be on screen, seem to be on social media, looking to these things to instill value in us. And God is saying in all these things, why are you looking here for worth that will leave you empty? And you're probably thinking, well, I like, just because I like something, does that make it an idol? Well, no, not necessarily. And, you know, you can like 
social media. There's good parts of Facebook and other social media. It doesn't necessarily make it an idol. But here's the thing. You have to ask yourself a couple questions. With anything that's important in your life, ask yourself these questions. Is it against what God wants or is it against Scripture? Then clearly, yes, that should be removed. If it's something that's against what God is teaching, what God's Scripture says, yes, let's get rid of that. Second question, is it harming you? Is it bringing harm to you? Then if it is, let's get rid of that. But a good way of knowing if something is an idol in your life is this third question. How would you feel if it was taken away? How would you feel if it was taken away? In our house, we have two dogs. And you're thinking, does he want one to be taken away? I would love one to be taken away. No, that's not why I bring up my dogs. We have one young dog who's about a year and a half, Millie, a lab mix. She's super sweet. We have an old crabby dog named Buster who's a beagle. And he's 13 and a half years old, and he's crabby. Um, and he's all about food. He's always been all about food. If he gets into food that he's not supposed to have, steals something off the table or gets into a garbage can, he's old enough and crabby enough now that he gets really mean. If you try to get that food away from him, it's gotten to the point now where we're thinking maybe Buster's days need to be numbered in our family because he gets really violent. No snarling, growling, barking at you, trying to bite you. If you're trying to get that food away from him, he is like, oh, no, you don't, and he's going to fight you and try to get you. All right? This is like mean dog. Well, I say that to say this. That same reaction happens in my house when I try to take a cell phone away from one of my kids. No, how dare you? You can't have that. And parents, lest we think we're judgy, how much time do you spend doing this, right? I'm not coming down on cell phones. I'm just saying, if we're looking for something, it might even not be idolatrous. It might just be a colossal waste of time. But anyway, if we're looking for something, how do you know if this is reaching too, point, too much of a point of focus in your life. What would you be like if, it took, if you got taken away? How would you feel? Maybe we should all do a test and just get rid of social media and phones for a week and see what happens. And some of you just got super nervous, right? You started hanging on to your phones more and you're like, my precious, my precious. <laughs> not, I'm not railing against phones. I'm on my phone too. Phones are great. But what if we had a little moment and we just said, maybe for a day, let's just reveal how important this thing is. Let's just reveal. It could be something else. I'm not just talking about cell phones, but let's do that. What if we had something in our world? What if it's money? What if it's money? How would you feel if your money was taken away? It's like, oh, man. We have a lot of people who get nervous in church because there's always an offering. And there's a lot of people who say the church is always about money. And I know the church has done a terrible job over the years of being about money and portraying that um, idea to people that we're always just about money. But I know there are some people who think that. Not because the church is being irrational or outrageous, but because they don't like it when somebody tries to take their money, right? They don't like it. I'm, I'm hanging on to this. My money is what helps me feel significant. It's helped me feel secure. helps me feel protected. I'm secure and safe now because I have all these financial things in place. Is money an idol in our world? I believe it is for many. Is it in your life? I don't know. Is it the most important thing? Are you looking to it to provide value and worth, to feel secure and provided for? In our culture, money, influence, pleasure, recognition, celebrity, these are all worshipped. These are all worshipped in our culture. Who gets worshipped in our culture? The famous, the influential, the rich. These are the people that get all our attention. Anytime an idol is worshipped in our life, God is not. 
So maybe we just need to have some of these moments where we take some things away and it will reveal how much of an importance is this in my heart? Is this something that I'm looking to when I should be looking to God? And you're, and you're thinking, well, how do I reveal this? How do I know what's an idol in my life? If, it's, if you have an actual statue that you're worshiping, well, then yes, we should probably get rid of that. Let's start there. It might be something that you just see as the most important thing. It might be something that you just see as the most important thing in your life, and you need to reprioritize what is most important and what is secondary. Ha- have a phone. Have money. All these things are fine, but have them in their appropriate place of importance in your life. Have a moment where you, where you remove something for a little bit. The, the Old Testament talks about, not the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the idea of fasting. If you've been around church, you've heard the term fasting. Typically, fasting is when somebody gives up something for a, a, a short period of time in order to focus on something more important. So typically, people will fast food for a meal, for a day, for several days. Some people fast for several weeks, a number of weeks. Um, I have done shorter fasts, and it's designed to help you deny your flesh. This is why God puts it in there. It's a discipline to deny your flesh, that flesh in you that says, I need food, I need all these things, to deny that and say, what's more important to me is God. And so a lot of people will do that with food. You deny your flesh. You put it in its level of importance. And when you stop eating for a meal or a day, you realize how often you think about food, right? Not that food is an idol for us. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you realize how important it is when you take it away. So maybe we want to fast something else. Maybe we want to go a day without a phone. Maybe we just want to take all the things off and use the phone. Remember when we used to talk to people on these things and just use it as an actual phone? Maybe we just want to do that. But take a day, if for no other reason, just to show yourself, yes, this thing does not control me. I'm putting this thing in a, in a place of importance where it belongs. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's screens in our house, my kids are worried right now because they know it's coming. We have a couple times a year, we just say, you know what? This week, we're not doing screens. And it's much protesting, and what are we going to do? And then, truthfully, I'm the one who's just like in the corner, like, I got to watch my shows. I got to watch my shows. What have I done? What have I done? Maybe you have something like that. Maybe, but just start removing these things, if for no other reason, to reprioritize how important they are in your life. What Paul is talking to the, to the Greek people, the Athenians, he's just saying, listen, you're putting all these things of utmost importance. You're searching after all these things when all you need is God. Put God in the position of utmost importance. And if you find something in your life that's an idol that you can't get rid of, well, then you've got to do some work in that. Maybe you need to ask God this week, is there something in my life that is taking too much of a place of importance? Is there something in my life that is hindering my relationship with you? Is there something in my life that I look to to feel valued and worthy when I should be getting all of those things from you? We should start by asking God those questions. Maybe you want to ask some other people. Maybe you're here sitting beside your spouse and you're given a little elbow or you're receiving a little elbow like he's talking about you. Maybe you can ask some people around you and just say, hey, is there something... Is there something in my life that is too important, that doesn't need to be that important? And then if something's revealed, recognize God's view of idolatry. It was get rid of them. Just get rid of them. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Put it in a position of importance that is less than what you have it now. 
This is a way that we let our flesh know when we fast, when we go without food, maybe we go without social media, maybe we go without TV or other things. Maybe, we, maybe if it's money, you can't, you know, we need money to live, but maybe the cure for you if, if money is an idol is to just be more generous. Just start giving it away. Just start giving it away. Be more generous. Whatever it is, this is a way we let our flesh know. Our flesh is all about appetite. It's, it's basically buster, our old beagle with food. It's I want what I want, I need what I need, and it's always trying to get stuff. We let our flesh know this when we fast, when we deny ourselves. I've died to you, and I am alive in Christ. I have died to the old flesh, and I am alive in Christ. And I focus on him because he's the source of everything we need. Amen? Can someone say amen to that? He is the source of everything we need. And we remember that God is with us. God is saying to each of you today, I want to be the one you look to when you want to feel worth when you want to feel value, if you're looking to feel value in another person or online or in a, some, anything else, if you're looking to something to numb the pain where you just need to look to me to feel value and worth and significance, God is saying that to each of you today. He's saying all the things you need in life are found in me. All these other things are secondary. All you need is found in a relationship with him. And like Paul reminded the Athenians as I close today, God's reminding us today, one day we're going to stand before him. One day this earth is going to be done and we're going to be standing before him. And how we've spent our days on this earth are going to be judged. Now, when we're in Christ, we know that we are saved and forgiven and we have salvation and mercy. When you are in Christ, that's not going to be in question. When you show up in heaven... God looks at you, it's not going to, when you have received salvation in Jesus Christ, your salvation is not up for debate when you stand before God in heaven. That is safe, that is a sure thing, so you got to know that. But when we believers stand before God in heaven, it's going to be a, how did you spend your days? What did you spend your time on? I, there are times where I just get sick thinking about, you know, how much time did I waste today? How much time did I waste on dumb stuff today? How much time did I waste? And God's going to ask, how did you spend your days? What did you think was most important? Look at all the days you spent searching for significance here. Look at all the days you spent hanging on to your money here. Look at all that stuff you lived for, and it's all gone. What about the days you spent living for God? That's what's going to last. I'm challenging you today as Paul was challenging the Athenians, the people in Athens, as Paul was challenging them. Don't waste your days. Live for God. What matters is what you do for God. That is what is going to last. And I, I picture myself standing before God, and this is like a sobering moment I try to do once in a while when I find myself just wasting a day. And God's going to say, what did you do with your time on earth? Why were you spending so much time on that? Why was that thing or that person or that whatever it was so important to you when you needed to be focusing on your relationship with God? So I want to challenge you in that today. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are your people. We recognize your love and your faithfulness to us. You have been so good to us. We've been singing about it today. You are good to us. Your love endures forever. You are faithful. You are true. You are all we need. We've been singing those words with our mouths today. And Lord, we want to proclaim it with our heart today. You are everything we need. You're everything we need. You are our source and so, God, we want you to convict us if there is something in our lives that is standing in the way of you.
If there's something in our life that is elevated to the position of being an idol or something that we spend way too much time on or something that we look to when we should be looking to you, if there's anything in our life that has reached that stage, convict us. Reveal that to us so that we can correct that. We want a relationship with you, that to be first and foremost in our lives. So as we pray, if that's you today, just have that conversation with God. Just repeat that prayer to God. God, I want you to be first. I want you to be first. I don't want to be distracted by all these other things. Whatever it is, and it might be something different for you than the person sitting next to you, but we want to prioritize our lives to put you first. Thank you for the work that you're doing in us. Thank you for the work that you're doing in this church. I pray that you would continue to work in us that we could be more like your son, Jesus Christ, that we could bring honor and glory to you in every day, in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, Homestead Church, for being here today. If you're new, I would love to meet you out in the lobby in just a minute, but uh, thanks for being here. Enjoy your Sunday. God bless you.